Suzanne, can you give her a round of applause for those names? Whoa. That was incredible. That was incredible. Thank you. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. My name is Arnold. I'm the high school pastor here, um, and I'm uh, delighted to be with you as we go through God's Word. Uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8. Um, one of the things that, as a pastor here on staff, that I'm always asking, a question I'm always asking and always thinking about the answer to, is the question, where are we? And, I, and I, I, I'm wondering, where, where am I? as a person, as an individual? Where are we as a congregation? And in the ministry that I lead, where are the mentors that lead? And where are the young people that I lead? Where are they? Where are we? But when we ask the question, where are we? There's an understood sort of clarification that needs to be made. And that is, in relation to what? Right? Have we all seen this symbol up here? Y'all seen that? Right? So, uh, what, what is that? That's a, that's a you are here symbol, right? So, uh, back about probably 10 or 15 years ago, you would find those on, um, on maps of, like, of the mall, right? A mall was a place that you used to go to to go shopping. Yeah? <laughs> And you would find them there, and, and, and it would say, you are here. And it would have a map, and it would be in relation to other buildings. Now we see it on phones, and it's kind of like, that's your destination, right? That, that symbol kind of represents destination. But either way, what's important, if you look at this symbol, and it said in the middle, you are here, in relation to what? What are you needing? You're needing a fixed point. You're needing other landmarks or streets or some place to give you orientation. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the question, where are we? And to get us started in that, I'm going to ask for some crowd participation. I want to get our sort of self-reflection juices flowing. I'm going to put up on the screen, the seven P's of human longing. Bear with me. I know that's, it's, that's a lot to kind of do. So I, I found human longings, universal human longings, and I tried to make them all start with P. So you have to bear with me here. But I've got seven of them, right? I'm going to put them on the screen. And what I want you to do is I'm going to read through them, and I want you to find yourself in them. So find the one, or maybe the two, but at least one, that sort of is more, most like you, that speaks to your particular human longing. Y'all with me? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Seven piece of human longing. Number one, um, power. All right? This is the longing for the power to live well, for something outside of us and greater than us, to bring change within us and around us. That's number one. Number two, personal connection. That's the longing to deeply and intimately connect with someone. Is that you? Number three, pleasure. The longing for joy, for delight, for inspiration, and or deep wonder. Deep, deep wonder. Number four, 
peace. The longing to be at peace with oneself and one's environment, a longing for rest. Number five, purpose. A longing to produce something good, beautiful, or true. A longing to know that who you are and what you do matters. Number six, purity. A longing to be cleansed. A longing to be made whole. To be made free of guilt and shame. To be right. And number seven, I've combined these two, place and permanence. That's a longing for a place to freely be and do that cannot be taken away or destroyed. Did you find yourself in there? The thing that's true about all of those is that in some form or another, we all have those longings. They're so deep in us, they're so a part of us that we often experience it even without realizing it. It might even be subconscious. But those are our longings. It's what being human means. But what happens is when those longings don't get met, they don't get fulfilled, or when the things that we have trusted to fulfill those longings, they betray us, or they fail to satisfy us, or they are taken away. When that happens, we become disoriented. We go seeking for it in different ways. We get, we, we feel lost. And it makes us ask the question, where am I? And in those moments, we need a fixed point. We need a fixed point that's going to tell us where we are. This morning, I'm going to skip ahead to the end and tell you my main point. Um, and it is this. God's people, they experience reorientation and renewal when there is a longing attentiveness to the word of God. When the word of God is what provides that red dot when the word of God is that red dot, God's people experience reorientation and renewal. All right, let's bow our heads and we're gonna pray and get into the text. Father, I thank you for this morning that you have given us. I pray, Father, that by your word today, we would know a little bit more about where we are in relation to you this morning. And I pray this in the capable and powerful name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so let's uh, get into the text. We're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter seven and eight today. Um, and what I wanna do is just kinda catch us up real quick with a real quick sort of like 
where we're coming from so we know where we are today in the story. So Nehemiah is the story, uh, a continuing story um, between Ezra and Nehemiah. They're, they're kind of one single story in two phases. Nehemiah is the story of God's people who had been defeated by their enemies and exiled. They have now been, by God's uh, working, brought back to their land with their people. And so they have been brought back to the capital city of Jerusalem and they are trying to rebuild it. And up to this point, there's been all kinds of opposition and all kinds of God, but also God working. And people are wondering, people are wondering, where are we? What's next? Right? That brings us to chapter seven. The wall of Israel has been built, rebuilt. And now there's a, okay, what do we do next? So we're going to read in chapter 7, and we're going to see kind of how this unfolds uh, on the what to do next, where are we, all right? So I'm going to read a chapter, or verse 1 through 5 of chapter 7, if you'd like to join me. Now when the, ball, the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I... I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. And no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first and I found written in it. And then a whole list of names that are hard to say. What I want us to see here is where the nation of Israel is at. They have had success. They've rebuilt the wall. That's got to feel good. But as they look out, it's not a bustling city. The, the city is empty. Nobody lives in it. And they're having to scrape the bottom of the barrel. As you can see, they're hiring singers to guard the place, right? No offense, Stephen, but when we're getting to the singers to have to guard the place, we need more people, right? So here, there's still an element of danger. There's still an element of things to be done. We live in the same space. We're awaiting a great work. We're awaiting the Savior to come. We live in a world that's broken, that needs rebuilding. There's always an element of danger and frustration and turmoil. And we're waiting. And we're just trying to figure out what do we do next. There's, there's where the people of Israel are. And so Nehemiah, the leader there, he's like, okay, I'm praying and the Lord is impressing upon me. If, in order to fill these cities, I need to find out who's here. So what does he do? Something very interesting. He goes back to an old record of the people who came at first when they first came, and these are in the book of Ezra, recorded in the book of Ezra. 
What's interesting to me is that record is now saved, preserved for us in here as the word of God. Nehemiah is referring back to the word of God in reference to, to, to figure out how what happened before connects with what he is doing now. It gave him a reference point. It gave him a red dot. Yeah? So there's Nehemiah. He's, he's getting a point of reference here from this genealogical record. One thing I want to point out about this genealogical record, um, it is full of names that we don't, under, that's strange to our ears. But these people recorded in this genealogy were people. They were people with longings like we have longings. With different skill sets like we have different skill sets. They were people just like us with their own longings. And there are people that now we can look at and say, because of what they did, we are here today. Especially those in the room here who are people of faith. We can look back at this and say, look at how the Lord was faithful through these people. Look at how the Lord was faithful through these people. You and I, we're going to skip over this section, right? But they were people that existed and they were faithful and we owe them. We owe them honor in this space. All right, so now we get to the, what I would call the juicy part of today's sermon. It's going to be chapter eight. It's an exciting part. There's going to be sort of this shift in the action. And that shift in the action is a work of the Holy Spirit that's brought about by the Word of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I say that? There's, there's not any space in here when we're reading chapter 8, which, which was read for us, where we see, oh, the Holy Spirit did this and this and this. But there are signs of the Holy Spirit that we can see throughout that are the work of the Holy Spirit. For one thing, just them being there is a work of the Holy Spirit. Them being gathered together is a work of the Holy Spirit. There's this unusual attentiveness to the Word of God, right? In the account that we read, they're reading the Word of God from early in the morning, from sunup to noon to midday, maybe six hours, right? Now, who in here, apart from God's Spirit, is going to sit and attentively listen to the book of Leviticus read aloud? Right? It's only the Spirit that is doing these things. So we can, we can without it even being sp- explicitly stated, we can know that the Spirit is at work here. So I want to establish, establish that first and primarily, that this is the work of God's Spirit here. But what we also see in chapter 8 is a, uh, a case study in what happens when people are gathered around the scriptures with what I'm going to call a longing attentiveness. A longing attentiveness. You see, these people had longings. One of the seven Ps, or maybe multiple, they had longings that needed to be met. And they longed for these things to happen, to be met. 
and where they looked was in Scripture, was in the Word of God, okay? And they looked with a longing attentiveness. So, I'm going to pull out of here six, uh, six sort of blessings that come from a longing attentiveness to the Word of God. Y'all, y'all ready? Let's go. This is the fun part. Where there is longing attentiveness to the Word of God, there is unity. There is unity. Read with me in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Okay. I'm not naive to the reality that whole churches divide over their understanding of Scripture. But what we see in this moment is a whole group of people coming from different areas gather together, men and women, and we can only assume the, the rest are young people because there's no other category. There's men and women and then all who could understand so the, that means young person. So that kind of even tells you in that day, women and children were not seen socially in the same way that they are today. There was an inequality. But in this moment, united around scripture, we find men, women, and young people who could understand. A beautiful picture of unity. Number two, where there is longing attentiveness to the word of God, there is worship. Now, whenever you encounter the wisdom or the love of God in scripture, it is always cause for worship. But one thing I want us to notice about this particular worship is how physical it was. How, how it, it took their mind, body, and soul, and moved it. Read with me in chapter, in verse 5 and 6. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. All the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen! Amen! Lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What a beautiful picture of worship. What a beautiful picture of worship. Number three, where there is a longing attentiveness to the word of God, there is understanding. Now, let's read in verse eight, this part here. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Every Sunday, that is the hope and goal of the pastors who come and speak up here. Is that we would give the sense and that it would be understood by the people who are hearing. That is our, that is our goal. But the, the amazing part of this that I want us to, to gather is that 
in this instance, the meaning of Scripture was not far from them. It was not far away. It was not something that only a scholar could understand. It was not something that just, it just needed to be, uh, you know, the, the Hebrew needed to be divided properly or understood properly. No, the, the, the meaning was there. They were able to grasp it. All of us here today, the meaning of God's word, what it means when it tries to tell us where we are in relation to God, what it means can be understood. It is something that is understandable. Um, all right. Number four, where there is longing attentiveness to the word of God, there is grace. All right, I'm going to read. This is my favorite part of the whole chapter. So I'm going to read this uh, verse 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Isn't it awesome that in the crusty pages of the Old Testament, we find a very alive description of the gospel. Because the gospel is not simply that we are broken sinners in, and in need of forgiveness and that we need to be weeping over that. It is more. Praise God. There was not just the death and burial of Jesus Christ. There was a resurrection. A resurrection, the Bible tells us, that brought joy to Jesus. Joy is the reason. You see, we worship Jesus. And did you know that when he came onto the earth, he came and the first miracle he does is to make wine, to make the party keep going. Jesus speaks to us about God's desire for our joy. God is for our joy. He is for our happiness. He is for our delight. But it doesn't just end there. You see, he's called us also into generosity. Generosity that flows from that joy. So here we see a very beautiful picture of the gospel. Where are you in that picture of the gospel? Are you someone who is, who loves to sort of feel bad about what they've done and who they are. They've got the sorrow part down. A lot of times in churches, admittedly that's even my temptation, is to sit in that space of like, oh, I'm broken. And forfeit the equally beautiful part 
that, that God is for us, that the God who created the world wants relationship with us, that he is for our good. There's a, there's a word in the scripture, uh, hesed is the Hebrew. It's my favorite word in all of scripture. The old King James is my favorite way of how they've translated it. It was, it was translated loving kindness. The, the ESV does a good job. It also says it's God's steadfast love. So whenever you see steadfast love, that's the word chesed. And you'll see it a lot. I believe that the, the truest meaning of the word chesed is a combination. It's God's faithful loving kindness towards us. Faithful loving kindness. He wants our good. Are you somebody, perhaps, who forfeits the I'm broken part? I'll just talk about sin. Let's, let's just, hey, let's move on from that. And so you've cheapened, you've cheapened this joy that you could have knowing that despite who you are, despite that you are broken, there's a God who pursues you. Or are, are you someone who stops short of generosity? You're like, yeah, the gospel is great for me. Which one are you? Which one are you? I think Nehemiah here in this passage, it's just so emphatic. It's a whole chunk of it. It's asking us, where are you? Which one are you? When God moves, he does so in that, in that pattern. Which one are you? Where are you in relation to God? All right. Let's move on to um, the, number five. Where there is longing, attentiveness to the word of God, there is obedience. Um, let's, let's read in verse 13 through 16. On the second day, uh, on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out. Where there's longing attentiveness to the word of God, there is obedience. This obedience isn't backdated. It's not like I should have been obedient here. The obedience is right in front of them. It's the next holiday on the season. Obedience is always in front of us. It is always in front of us. I would ask you, this minute, this hour, this day, what is the obedience that is in front of you? What is the obedience that God is asking of you today? Number six, and finally, where there is longing attentiveness to the word of God, there is renewal. Where there is longing attentiveness to the word of God, there is renewal. I'm going to read in 17 through 19. All the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. 
And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the, the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Here we see in chapter 8, God's people being revived. Amen? God's people being revived. And it came from a longing attentiveness to the word of God. Now, the blessing of the word of God has always been there from the beginning. God's people have always been formed by the word of God. In the beginning, God spoke and he formed the world. He formed us by words. He spoke. By the word of his mouth, we were formed. And then when Adam and Eve fell, they chose to disobey God. They wanted what they wanted for themselves. And it created distance. And they hid in the garden. And what were the words that God spoke he said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And those words, they called Adam back into relationship with God. And the word of God has done that ever since. The word of God has done that ever since. And the word of God became most pointed when the word of God became flesh some 400 years after our account here in Nehemiah. The word became flesh. It's this metaphor that the biblical writers used to talk about God becoming, God's word becoming a human person in Jesus Christ. And what we see from Jesus is an obedience to that word. He was he was formed by the word of God. And when he says, he, when he comes, he echoes the same words that were spoken in, to Adam. Where are you? And this time he says, I am here, right here near you. I am with you. I am with you. Jesus, the word of God, giving us a sense of where we are. He is the actual red dot, the ultimate red dot, the red dot that we all have been longing for. Now, you remember at the beginning when I asked you to find where you are, to find where you are in the seven Ps of human longing. Where will you go to have those things fulfilled? Where will you go to seek answers? I would offer you today that the word of God is the only secure place. The word of God is the greatest reference point. The word of God is the place where we find Jesus. My hope and prayer for the people of Gateway is that we would experience the blessings that we have talked about today. The blessings that come from a longing attentiveness to the word of God. 
I want us to be like those babies that you see in the videos. They get thrown in the water. And then, you know, they're like, and then it's like, you know, they, they find their way to the surface. They're buoyant. I, my hope is that we as a people are that kind of buoyant people because our eyes are fixed on the word of God. Please pray with me. Dear God, I thank you for this morning where we can gather around your word. I thank you for the story of Nehemiah as it's been recorded and how it can be an encouragement to us and how it can point us even towards the, 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 the message of grace that is centered to the, this, the, the whole of scripture. God, I pray that you would form us by your word, that you would revive us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.